podcast. I enjoyed this interview with Reese Peluso. We're talking about really fundamental stuff to health here. Breath work, cold therapy, some of the foundational stuff that can help with overall wellness. One quick plug for one of our products, and that is Mimi's Miracle Cell Fuel, which is directly designed to be a vasodilator and to help those cells get the correct amount of oxygen that they, they need. It's one thing to breathe. It's another thing for that oxygen to be transferred correctly into those cells. And I add eight drops of cell fuel to each bottle of water that I fill every day. I fill my, my blue 24 ounce bottle of water three times a day, eight drops of cell fuel. And let me read to you one of the uh, testimonials here on the website for cell fuel. Jennifer says, this has improved my physical strength and hair loss problem. I've been taking this for a few months now. I find that my stamina and strength have improved and I am having much less hair loss, which is a very cool byproduct. It has no unpleasant taste and is very easy to take. So just a plug for one of our products, it would actually help with the oxygenation of your body. You may not have tried it yet. If you would like to use the coupon code podcast to save 10% off. And by the way, you can use that to chuck anything in your shopping cart and buy it and save yourself 10%. And now on with the show. Welcome to the Nairobi Health Show, everybody. I'm here with Reese Peluso. Reese, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. It's good to have you here. I've got a lot of unique questions for you because this is an area which I'm really interested in. It's kind of a fringe area, but a really fascinating area of the whole spectrum. When I say fringe, I compared to, you know, diet and fitness, which are like core topics we always talk about. Your topic, though, is fascinating. And I think more people need to know about it. Now, the title I gave this episode is The Power of Breathwork, Building a Personal Breathing Toolkit with Reese Peluso. Perfect. I love it. It's funny that you say that it's fringe because it it is. I think it's definitely an up and coming sort of topic, but breathing is the key to being alive. So the fact that something that is inherently built into every single human being, living animal on this planet, that it's fringe. It's not something we're taught about or that we learn. <laughs> it's just so wild, right? Like it's the right. first thing we do when we enter this world. It's the last thing we do when we leave. We have 600 million to a billion breaths in our lifetime. And most of those are, we don't even think about it. It's just happening reflexively. And so thinking about the uh, impact of that and the fact that we're doing it that many times, it should like trigger this light bulb, like, huh, Maybe there's something to explore here. Like what, what, what is this all about? So I just, I just laugh when I hear that and, and I totally get it. It's, it's a new yeah, topic yeah. and it's something we're, we're learning more about and, and it's getting to be a really exciting um, realm to be in. But at the same time, it's just like, ah, oh, man, we only really knew what was right here. Uh, we would potentially solve a lot of the health problems that we're actually having. So interesting. And so it kind of is uh, more on the fringes of current discussions of health, but should not be. And that is really an interesting point. I mean, w without food, um, well, without water, a human dies within days. Without food, a human dies within weeks. But without air, we're talking minutes. Yeah, totally. <laughs> not not very long, not very long. Depends on who you are. But yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it's, it's definitely crucial. <laughs> 
Well, let me read your bio here so people listening can understand where you're coming from. Uh, you are a surfer, a husband of two young girls, a serial entrepreneur. Uh, Reese found himself looking for a way to maintain balance in his life and was introduced to the Wim Hof method, which reignited a mind body connection he'd lost over time. And that was where his journey began. He did a deep exploration of the Wim Hof Hof method, including two trips to Poland where he summited frozen mountains in sub-zero temperatures wearing only shorts, which sounds really fun. (laughs) Uh, but but uh, that was just an introduction for you, Reese, and, and you went on to work with some of the, uh, let me just skip down a little bit, worked with, you've studied with Casper van der Mulen, Dan Bruhl, and Brian McKenzie. And so you've really done a deep dive into this entire world of breath work and cold therapy. Now, I'm not sure what the relationship is between the two. And so maybe we ought to just start there. We're talking about breath work, but what does cold therapy have to do with breath work? Yeah, it's a great question. And and I think for a lot of people who maybe come into breath or cold, it's, it is through the Wim Hof method. And uh, clearly Wim has combined the two. So I think a lot of times they get married together uh, when talking about breathing or cold, um, but not necessarily they have to go together. However, the impact of getting into the cold it directly affects our breathing. If you've ever got into the cold, whether it's a cold shower or jumped into a cold body of water, what happens? Your breath, (gasps) you lose your breath. It moves up into your chest. It becomes super shallow. It's this panicky, like hyperventilation style breath. You you feel like it's totally gone. So I think that's where there's this connection where we can start to see that. And I think that's what, what whim actually was, uh, became aware of when he started going into the cold was he noticed his response to his breath. And then he noticed that by using his breath and controlling his breath in a certain way that he could actually settle his nervous system response and then be able to be in the cold for a lot longer. So there, there is definitely a direct connection between the two also doing breathing before like priming our body with our breath is going to have an impact on how the cold actually feels when we get in. But again, they can be done independent of each other or together. So um, I think that's that's where the, the combination of the two happens a lot of times is because people are really introduced to both through the Wim Hof method. Okay, interesting. I I did the, uh, the uh, uh, Boise uh, Ironman a few years ago and um, the reservoir up above Boise where you swim and uh, in, the, in the Boise, it was a half half Ironman distance. So it's 1.2 mile swim, 56 mile bike, and then half marathon. And the reservoir temperature was 53 degrees in, in June when we did it. Okay. And Chris had a a light uh, swimming cell wetsuit. uh, And because we knew the water would be cold, I also had little swimming booties and and a hat. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they were sending us out in waves. I mean, there was a lot of people. It might've been 2000. I don't know. It was a pretty big race. So they're sending us out in waves. So they have the pier going out and, and here we are, we're getting ready. We know it's cold. We're <laughs> ready. Like, like, you know, somewhat mentally prepared, but they were really doing us a disservice. What they were doing was they were having your wave get in the water and then wait in the water <sighs> till the next wave hit the first buoy. Wow. I don't know why, like they should have yeah. just said go and you jump go. off the pier and, and swim. So I get in the water and it's freezing, right? So I'm having that affect what you talked about, like starting to hyperventilate, like 53 degrees is cold, even in a wetsuit. Totally. 
So it just kind of chilled me right down. Then the horn goes off. And I start swimming. Well, the minute I put my, my head down the water, so swimming, the cold kind of just like felt like it just hit my forehead and started to freeze my brain. <laughs> and uh, So I, I, I'm at the beginning of this 1.2 mile swim. My body is frozen like an ice cube. I've got this headache setting in. <laughs> and all I could think was swim fast. You yeah. got to get out of this water. <laughs> totally. And, uh, it's a good motivator. <laughs> it was a good motivator. And I, as you, as you mentioned there about Wim Hof getting cold and then realizing the connection between breath, that experience immediately came back to mind because that was everything you described. It was getting in the water, being forced to stay still, having your body just completely cool down. The hyperventilation feeling uh, uh, kicks right in. Yeah. And I wasn't feeling very Wim Hofish at that time. I just wanted to get out of the water. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that, that response happens to everyone. Doesn't matter if you've been training for a long time, our nervous system goes straight into this either fight, like you're going to be there and you're, you grind it out or flight, like get me out of here, you know? So, or, or maybe there's a combination of the two, one shifts to the other. Um, but also like getting in the cold, it, like especially water, it extracts heat from our body. So you get cold really quickly. And, and obviously the movement of swimming is going to warm you up. But yeah, when you get chilled to the bone and then yeah. you're like, okay, um, I need to start moving. And it, it's, it's, it's no joke. One more quick anecdote on that whole story was I finally was so relieved to get out of the water and get on my bike. And of course the triathlon, you're trying to do everything fast. You want to transition fast. You move from that freezing cold water, you get on the bike. Well, guess what? The next thing we had to do was ride down a massive long high, highway down into the city. So now my body is completely frozen and I'm in the wind. Oh my <laughs> God. Know, going, going 40 miles an hour downhill. Right uh, and, and so it, it took another like half hour before my body kind of recovered. Now, for sure. Uh, since, since then, I've I've come to appreciate cold a little bit more. Uh, for those of you listening, we we did what was called a simplified Wim Hof method on an earlier version. If you look up Dairobi Health Show with Joe Capoo, K E P O apostrophe O, uh, he has a simplified method he teaches his patients, and uh, and we and we did that. And since then, uh, Reese, I've been doing at least cold showers, right? Mm -hmm. And at first, what I would do is I just have a normal shower, and then I would turn it to like lukewarm, and yeah. then over time, try to acclimate my body. And I did that for a long, long time. And, and then I, I got all the way to where I do go all the way cold. This is probably sounding super wimpy to you. They're doing full no, no, immersion. It's full great. Bone no, cold, I, I, I share the same thing. Like start small okay. and work your way up. Yeah. You got to build some tolerance and, and also knowing what your response is and then how you can utilize all these tools to, to be able to withstand the cold or to be able to be there with it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's cool. But I did it for quite a long time, maybe over a year. And finally I realized this is taking a long time because I did incre increase my tolerance and I, I try to spend two to three minutes in the full cold. Mm -hmm. Well, but then I, I don't like to, you know, I'm an entrepreneur like you, I'm a go-getter. I got a lot going on in the day. And what I found was I was just having long showers. Mm. And so finally I was like, what am I doing? Like when I go swimming, if I go to a pool, I just jump in. I'm not one of these toe tappers, you know, yeah. if I go to a swimming pool, I'm just going to jump in. And so after I had that epiphany, I just turned the shower to cold. It got in and had the whole shower. Now the soap works a little different and the shampoo is a little different in full cold <laughs> here in Utah right now. It's may and our, 
our uh, reservoirs are still very cold. It's chilly. Like the, the shower is still chilly. In the summer, it won't be so cold. It won't have the same effect. Uh, right now, it's still cold. Now, I got to admit, some days I just turn it on cold. I get in. I don't even think about it. I have that immediate reaction every time of cold and then it goes away pretty quickly. I just do the shower. Yeah. Some days I whip out. Like it, <laughs> it, it never is fully. I, I've never become a hundred percent okay with just getting in fully cold water. Yeah. This morning is one of those. I did a forty-minute row here on my rowing machine, a little bit of core work, and um, and then I'm standing there, turn it on cold. And today was one of those days. I was tempted. I was like, I don't want to freeze right now. Yeah. Uh, I think I want to have a warm shower today. <laughs> And finally, I'm like, no, 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 I'm just going to do it. And I just got in and, and, and gutted it out. But you said an interesting thing that breath work, you know, in combination with the child, maybe I should be doing some breathing exercises mm-hmm. before I get in the cold. Is that what you recommend? Yeah. I mean, you think about, again, that response when you get in, your breath is taken away and, and just physiologically how our breath works and and with our biochemistry and all these parts um we can actually tune our body a little bit more to be able to withstand the cold so um we've got pain and cold receptors that are impacted by breathing we also if we're doing sort of this cyclical hyperventilation or superventilation style breathing like wim hof um because we're dumping carbon dioxide we're actually already getting vasoconstriction so the, the vasculature is constricting, which is what happens when we get in the cold. So there's a little bit less of a, a dramatic constriction effect. Um, we're also just building heat in our body, producing energy through breathing in a certain way. Um, so it can be a nice primer before you get in. And then when you get in, it's all about just slowing your breath down and, and extending your exhales and, and, um, focusing on relaxation of the body what happens when we get in the cold we get super tight our muscle muscles cramp up or tense up our shoulders come up our jaw gets super tight and so that's restricting blood flow um it's also it's makes it more uncomfortable so if we can just like use our breath to relax and and really drop that tension um, our body is going to go into that shift state a lot quicker. There is a point that you will get to where your body says, okay, I know you're not getting out. So now I got to do the work. And, and so it kicks on and our bodies are, are very smart. And a lot of the time our mind gets in the way of us being able to get to that point. Um, but you know, around 30 seconds, you probably notice everything begins, starts to kind of slow down, settle down. And you're like, okay, I can actually be here. And then you do your thing in the shower and then you get out. Um, the other thing I was going to say is that there is a huge mindset piece within it. Like you said, okay, um, you know, you're about to get in the cold, you know, what the body's response is going to be, you know, how it feels. And, and so there's resistance that comes in there. I mean, that happens for me too. I've standing next to my ice bath, ready to get in. I'm like, Oh God, here we go. Am I really going to do this? But then you get in that big adrenaline boost, you get, you know, all this, uh, all those happy hormones that are, are making you feel awesome and you get out and it's like, okay, that was worth it. I've never done an ice bath where I'm like, okay, that I, I'm, I didn't wish I didn't do that. <laughs> like that right. doesn't help, you know? Um, but it is that discomfort. And really that's what a lot of what we're working on here is, is 
we're using cold exposure and breathing as an acute stressor, a hormetic stressor, right? So it's this short term, very potent dose of stress on our bodies, which we a lot of times we're associating stress as being a bad thing. And yes, uh, chronic stress, stress that's happening for a long period of time through life circumstances or other things that does have detrimental effects on our bodies. But when we're using acute stress in a very intentional way under control, it's actually strengthening. You know, you think about getting in, what is that doing? It's strengthening our, our circulatory system, right? We go from being super open to closing everything down. Then we get out, it opens up. We also are working our nervous system, right? We get in, boom, we spike, we go into this very sympathetic fight flight mode. Then we stay in the cold. Everything starts to settle. Our body is always trying to bring us back to homeostasis, that baseline. And so, you know, we're using the cold to, to have a response to then we're not necessarily overriding the response, but we're we're beginning to build resiliency within that. So we understand our, our response to stress. We know how, what tools we need to do to use in order to be able to deal with it. And then that inherently is creating more capacity, more awareness uh, for when we don't have the control of the stress coming in, like when we step out or we get the next self uh, or um, text message that, you know, stimulates some sort of response. We, we know how to how to deal with it in a different way. So, um, yeah, it's it's one of those things. It's super uncomfortable, and you know. But when we do uncomfortable things, then everything else becomes a little bit easier. Um, our our as humans, we're we're we had a a lot of stress. You know, thinking about thousands of years ago, like there wasn't a refrigerator with food that we could get at any time. There wasn't temperature controlled rooms or a lot of clothing that was keeping us warm. Um, we didn't have shoes or socks, you know, there, there was all these things that were creating stress, which was then strengthening us and, and our resilience. And we don't have that. And we're seeing a lot of effects, um, from that. So by using things like cold, even sauna, heat, breath work, um, you know, thinking about exercise too, like that's putting stress on our body, weightlifting, that's stress, right? But all of those things are not associated as bad stress. It's good. We need that. So um, these all kind of fall into a very similar, uh, similar vein. One expert on this, I can't remember who, but talked about an endocrine system flush through cold exposure. Is that part of the deal or what do you know about that aspect of yeah, we're, we're lymph is, uh, is getting flushed as well. I mean, same with breathing, you know, it's like, again, like all that, all that pumping of all these different mechanisms within us. And, and so it is having, uh, an impact on, on all of that, you know, your adrenals are popping when you're getting into the, into the cold, um, you know, you're getting a, a dump of all these hormones, uh, and, and adrenaline and dopamine and all that, you know, so. Uh, it's really exercising all the systems in the body and, and we need that. And are you suggesting that heat does a similar thing? I'm interested in an infrared sauna. Mm-hmm. My wife and I have been debating about getting a hot tub in the backyard and she just doesn't really want to do it. And uh, so I've been, I've been voting for, she's, she's voting against. So we know where that's going to end up. Yeah. Uh, but an infrared <laughs> sauna is not very big. Doesn't take up that much space. They're not that expensive. Uh, can I get similar benefits from an infrared sauna 
uh, as I can from cold exposure because it's just a different form of stress or Ab- no. Absolutely. Yeah. Both are, are, are doing similar things. Um, obviously one is hot, one is cold. So there's some different responses within that. Um, Asana, you're, you're likely going to go into for a lot longer period of time, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, whereas a, an ice bath, it's only a couple, two, three, five minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, so different and it, you know, we're getting, we're getting similar type things that are happening, just slightly different, um, stimulus. Uh, I have both. I've got a sauna in my garage. I've got a, a cold plunge out in my backyard and and like to go back and forth or do them separately. Um, so both very great tools to, to get again, to build that resiliency to stress as well as to stimulate some different things in our bodies. So a uh, big fan of both. How did you do your ice bath? Is it kind of a homemade thing or like you know, an old bathtub that you just put ice and cold water in, or is it more sophisticated than that? So, uh, I had a very DIY setup, um, you know, for, for years, there wasn't really any of these, uh, industrial or like awesome ice plunge, cold plunges that are out Mm -hmm. there now. Um, so a hack was to get a deep freezer or like a chest freezer, you know, Mm -hmm. one of those lift top, uh, lift top freezers and you seal the seams with, uh, some JB water weld pour some water, fill it with water, plug it in. And about 30 hours or so you've got, you know, 32 degree water with big ice chunks forming. And, you know, there's all sorts of other things you can put in it. Like people put filters in and they put the little temperature gauge so you can set the gauge at a certain temperature. So then, um, you know, it stays cold, but obviously you want to unplug it. You don't want to get into a, uh, uh, you know, a, a big, freezer with that's plugged in. So obviously right. some safety things there, but, um, I had one of those for a really long time. And and now I've recently, um, upgraded to more of kind of one of these fancier, um, cold plunges. It's got a filter system, it's got an ozonator in it. Like it's pretty sweet. Um, it actually cycles the water. So the water is constantly moving. Um, a lot of times when you get into a cold plunge, you know, it's static water. So you actually get this like thermal layer that builds around your, Mm. around your body. So, you know, you can, it doesn't feel as cold. Whereas you get in a cold body, I mean, a running body of water, then the water is circulating. You don't get that little thermal layer. So it actually feels a lot colder. Like my, my chest freezer would get to, I mean, I got it to like 30 degrees, big ice chunks in it. Um, but my tub, my tub now only gets to about 39, but it feels just as cold because that water is cycling. interesting. You never really get that, that little extra thermal layer to warm you up. So, and is uh, that like a $4,000 investment? Um, it's a little bit more, uh, one of my fellow Wim Hof instructors, um, started making them. And so I actually got gifted with one. Um, wow. So super lucky to to have that. But yeah, I mean, like most of the ones on the market now range from probably like five grand at the low end. Um, some of them are upwards of 20 grand, depends on what you're getting. Holy cow. Um, but yeah, there, there's a lot out there and, and it's a really growing um, little kind of market that's happening. There's a local company that just um, started making these ones that actually inflate. Uh, they use similar material to like... Um, those stand-up paddle boards, the inflatable stand-up yeah, paddle boards. Yeah, so like that I've thing. been in a hot tub like that. Yeah, so They're it's fantastic. Pretty, pretty awesome. And it's like, it right. cools down to 37, 39 degrees in two hours. It's got a 
chiller that you attach to it, it cycles the water. It's pretty killer. So there's a lot of like innovation happening within that in that world. But you know, the the good old chest freezer DIY hack for you can probably do a whole setup for eight, nine hundred bucks, you know. So kind of hard to beat. Um, and it does the trick, but you know, again, like you don't need to necessarily have something like that. You're, you're doing cold showers, which is great. Like you don't actually need the water to be that cold. You know, a lot of the science is showing like around 64 degrees is enough of a oh. stimulus to, to actually, um, get some of these things to happen. Um, obviously when it's a, a, a colder, um, stimulus it, it's going to impact us in a different way um but you know like i live here in san diego the ocean in the winter time is you know high 50s low 60s and and that's a great stimulus you know if you live near any any like natural body of water whether it's a river stream lake i always love getting in the cold in in nature it's always just feels more right. connected um but even if you don't have that, like get a bucket of ice water or water, put some ice in it, have a, another bucket of regular room temperature water and put your hands in for 10 seconds, take them out for 10 seconds, room temp for 10 seconds, do cycles of that with your hands, then do it with your feet. Those are generally the most, uh, the places where we feel the cold the most. And they're also uh, you think about your hands and your feet, we're not really stimulating and using them like we once were. We've got shoes and socks on all day. Our feet are protected. Um, our hands, you know, we're on cell phones and typing on keyboards. We're not actually like using our hands. So there's not a lot of stimulation in those areas. So it actually feels like painful in your hands and your feet when you get in, but you can start to strengthen that. And really what we're doing is strengthening the muscular, the, the smooth muscles that are um, opening and closing our vasculature. So, uh, when we impact one, our, our vasculature, our circulatory system is a closed loop, right? And so if we're strengthening one part, we're strengthening the whole thing. So okay. feet is a great starting point. I know, um, you know, a lot of people have, they feel like their feet are always cold or their hands are always cold. So it's like, boom, get that pumping, get that going. And, and you don't need to, you know, necessarily get into a cold plunge straight away. You can just start there and then work your way up. And like you said, like take your warm shower, then start to slowly let the water get colder. Then maybe, you know, you turn the heat all the way off. Um, because you're going in from hot to cold, you're also opened up to then getting going into that constriction. Um, so it feels a lot colder as well. Uh, so there's so many ways to approach it. It doesn't have to be, you have to have a, a proper ice bath. Um, it's fun for, you know, when you, when you have an experience like that, uh, and obviously as you're getting more into it, you're committed to it. Um, having something a little bit more intense is, uh, <laughs> quite nice. So lots well, of let's ways talk to more to, I always like to keep things as simple as possible that, uh, you know, the most pe possible people, uh, the most people can do, uh, cause yeah. getting an ice bath is something that, uh, realistically very few people on the show are going to do. I'm glad you yeah. introduced them to the idea if they've never heard of it before. Uh, but for, for people who want to just take advantage of the, of the breathing and the cold exposure, uh, quickly and easily, let's go back to the shower, which is quite simple. Everyone's got a shower. Yeah. Uh, probably everyone totally. listening showers every day. And, um, Let's go back to the breathing. What would be a good breathing practice a person could adopt 
before they start doing some kind of cold exposure in a shower or tub? Yeah. So really just, um, focusing in, like, I always like to pause and check in before I do anything like this. So really kind of noticing my state of being, what, what am I, what are the thoughts? What am I telling myself? Uh, how am I feeling? What tuning into my heartbeat? Is it beating super fast? Cause I'm anticipating something. Um, what other sensations am I noticing? What's, what, what's my emotional state? Um, so it's always good to kind of check in first and then, you know, just doing some connected breathing. So meaning moving the breath in a pattern where there's not really a pause at the top or the bottom, breathing in through the nose and out through the mouth. It's going to start to build some heat, um, do 20, 30 breaths like that. You know, really just focusing on opening the breath up, moving some energy in the body. Then give yourself a moment before you get in the cold, maybe wait 20, 30 seconds, and then just commit, you know, you know, you're going to have a response, you know, you're going to be okay. So like you said, don't do the tiptoe, just boom, get in there, let the cold hit you, feel it, welcome it, accept it, don't try to resist it, and allow your breath to be taken away, it's going to change. So let it happen, meet yourself there, and then you just slowly begin to control it, focusing on the exhale, lengthening the exhale, getting to a place where you can breathe in and out through your nose and allowing your body to relax as you're focusing on those exhales. And you'll get to a place where it's like, okay, I can actually be here. My body is settling. My mind is not freaking out as much. And then boom, do your business. If you're going to clean yourself, do it then. Or maybe you take your hot shower and then you go to the cold and just get to that place where you feel everything sort of drop and settle. And then that's it. It's not about being in there for, you know, 10, 20 minutes. It's like when you can get to that point where you feel like you've gotten back to maybe baseline, then you're good. Okay. And I, I've been following for quite a long time, uh, something from a simple article in like a men's health magazine a few years ago, um, where it was about skin. Mm-hmm. skincare for men, which is something that men tend to not be that great at myself yeah. included until recently, I started paying more attention after some skin cancer. I, I yeah. that gets your attention, right? Yeah. I, I didn't have anything life-threatening, but stuff that uh, had to be surgically removed and that like, good thing you came in. Cause this is not going to go away. It's going to keep growing. And so now I pay more attention. So yeah. I've been educating myself. And this doctor said, you know, our, our skin is uh, our, the b- biggest organ in our body. And has a lot of bacteria, there's a lot going on, right? If we look at it in a microscope, we see uh, all kinds of things at work in our skin. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a, um, an ecosystem, our, our yeah. skin really. And, uh, and we, we heard it through too much soap, uh, bottom line. Yeah. He said, you know, wash, you know, take care of your hair, wash and condition, you know, shampoo condition, and then just use soap on your pits and privates. Mm-hmm. Just rinse the rest. Yeah. And I started doing that. And I got to tell you, my skin improved noticeably over the next few months. And some people think that that sounds gross, but the, the natural, uh, all the bacteria, the healthy bacteria that's taking care of your skin stays, the natural oils that the skin produces to take care of itself works. Yeah. Uh, you do rinse off. I typically, um, exercise daily. And so I'm typically just rinsing off the sweat and everything, you know, so I do rinse off and kind of make sure and, you know, get, get clean. Yeah. But, uh, 
as long as we're talking about showering, I thought I might as well bring that up because this is uh, this is a uh, you know the the reason we shower every day. A big part of it is to stay clean and to look after our skin. So I don't know if you've oh, heard that before. If this is an area that you uh, have any thoughts on, but if you do, no, go ahead. I, I I've I've heard that before, um, and it, I think it all makes sense. It's like you know when we overdo things, then obviously that could have negative effects, and we want to find that middle ground. Um, I know for me, like, like if I'm soaping my whole body all the time, I get super dried out. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's just something I've noticed for myself and, and, um, same with my hair. So, yeah, I think it's, uh, all the things that you can do for your health are, are great. And so much about it is educating yourself and, and then trying it and seeing how it impacts you. Cause that's really if you, if you're not going to see a difference, then you're not going to stick with it. And I think right. all of these things, like it's just about taking action and, and having an open mind to try something new. Okay. Next point. There's a dichotomy here between men and women. Uh, we know from research that women have higher pain tolerance than men yep. at the same time, they have 40% more nerve endings in the skin than men. Mm-hmm. So they, they, they might have a higher pain tolerance, but also be more sensitive to pressure and heat and cold. And yeah. so, and so, uh, uh, oftentimes we find that if we talk about cold exposure, the guys might go, Oh, I, I, that sounds interesting. I'll try it. <laughs> Where a lot of women's initial response may, Ooh, you know, forget it. I don't want to be cold. And I've seen this time and time again in these conversations. And yet again, the fact is they have the higher pain tolerance, right? And so, I'm not sure if we classify cold as pain necessarily, but can you just talk to that for a minute and uh, uh, gender differences? Is there any, is there anything different that women ought to do to take advantage of cold exposure than men or? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think there's clearly physiological differences uh, between men and women and, and women have obviously their cycle. That is uh, a part of, their physiology and and how that's changing throughout the month. So um, I think there's things within that that are impacting women differently than men. And um, I think a a generalization that we hear a lot is that women run colder than men, which I've found to be true just in my own personal experience. Um, And, you know, through, through sharing the Wim Hof method and, and, and cold exposure, I've, I've, when I first started, I was teaching at a yoga studio. I was running workshops there. And I think just the nature of where it was, it was most of my workshops were more women than men, which was very different from traditional how people are seeing Wim Hof method. Cause obviously you have Wim and he's like this very macho charismatic guy and you have the cold, which is a dis- distraction or a, a detraction for, for women. Um, so I, it was, it was just interesting to see that. And, and so I've had a lot of experience with women in the cold and, um, I think, uh, part of it is, is that knowing of how it feels when you get in the cold. And, and so I think one of the things that I've found is that through, um, understanding a little bit more about our physiology and our nervous system that it sort of opens the mind a little bit as to, okay, like I can see how all these things make sense. And, and then, um, 
there's more of a like a openness to try it when you can actually understand a little bit more under the hood of what's going on you can sort of maybe predict or or know where it's going and then also know like what the stages of it are so um within teaching that's normally what we get to is we go through the science and and that's what i love about all of these things there's a lot of science behind it um so that then by the time you get to getting in the cold, you're like, okay, like all these things make sense and, and all of that. And then you get to actually experience that entire process um, has been, I think, opening the door for, for more people to, to want to try it. Um, and I will say that when you see a woman get in versus a man get in the response a, a lot of the time is very different. <laughs> um, like you Raquel. said, there's a different pain tolerance uh, that women have. And I see so many times um, women get in and it's just like, boom, they're just like locked in, you know, they hmm. like get in there that, uh, that initial response is still there, but a lot of times it kind of settles quicker. Hmm. Um, I, I see men kind of more like try to muscle through it. Right. Like they're trying to fight it and, right. and that, that intensifies it. Whereas women have this ability to kind of surrender in a different way to the cold. Um, so I think that impacts uh, their experience in a different way, but everyone's a little bit different. And, and, you know, I'm not, not to say that women don't have a response that, you know, is very big. Um, they, some do and some don't, but, um, in my experience, like I love kind of watching the women go in and it's just like, they come in, they come to the workshop or the whatever experience as kind of the most worrisome, like they're, that's all they're thinking about. And then by the time they get to the cold portion of it, it's like, okay, I'm ready for this. And then they get in and they rock it and they're like, wow, that was amazing. I've, I'm so glad I did that. I don't know why I was so freaked out, all those huh. things. So yeah, it's okay. an interesting process. You know, our mind has all these like limitations and limiting beliefs. And then we do something hard and we survive. And then we're like, oh, okay, wow, I can do that. Like I get it, you know? Um, so again, like I was saying, it's just about trying and, and taking action and experiencing new things and seeing what is actually we're made of, you know, we're, we're capable of so much more than we think. And, for whatever reason, we like to limit ourselves and what we think is possible. Okay, let's move on to the toolkit. We promised people a breathing yeah. toolkit, a breathwork toolkit. Yeah, we've been focusing let's, on let, the Let's give it to them. Uh, what, how do people implement this and create their own breathing toolkit day in, day out, week in, week out? Yeah, I mean, there's just so many ways to to use our breath, so many different patterns and rhythms and cadences that we can utilize. And um, I'm not going to sit here and say that there's one best way to breathe. I always say the best practice is the one that you're going to do over and over and over again. And figuring out what's going to sort of start that for you could be anything. And just a very simple practice that is a great starting point for people is what we call coherent or resonant breathing. So equal part inhale, equal part exhale. Generally it's around five or six seconds in five or six seconds out. 
And so you're just creating this very equal balanced breath cadence. It's slowing our breaths per minute down. It's bringing coherence into the body. Um, and, you know, do that for five minutes. And that can be a great starting point. Uh, there's obviously okay. all kinds of different methods and techniques of breathing, schools of breath, as we would call it, you know, Wim Hof method, rebirthing, transformational, holotropic, like the list goes on. It's sort of like yoga. Like there's all these different schools and methods. Mm -hmm. um, my approach is really, I kind of step back from the methods now and focus more on principles. So looking at the principles, the underlying fundamental mechanisms that are uh, a part of all these methods. And when we understand that, then we actually can understand how uh, our breath is impacting our physiology, how our mechanics are involved. And essentially that all ladders up to our nervous system. And so by knowing each of these different parts, then we can actually begin to implement breathing practice, breathing protocols that we know are going to work for wherever we're trying to go. It becomes more goal oriented rather than, okay, do this practice, super ventilation, you know, 30 breaths as fast as you can go. Like we don't all need that where our nervous systems are all in different places. They're constantly fluctuating our goals and what we're trying to do are changing throughout the day. So it's like, okay, if I'm at, you know, two o'clock in the afternoon, I'm thinking about going for that second cup of coffee. I can do use my breath in a certain pattern to actually stimulate that energy that the coffee is going to give me without the caffeine with that's I know is going to have all these downstream effects on my day and my sleep that night. Um, so it's really just understanding how all of the, all, how our breath impacts all of these different systems. What are the different elements of our breath that we can use? And then how do we put that together to be able to, uh, move towards our goal or whatever it is we're trying to accomplish. So I know and that's how often long do you do, uh... and not very specific on a toolkit. Um, but I can share like four pieces that I always like to kind of start with. Um, Terrific. Our number one, our inhale versus our exhale. And this is all going to relate to our nervous system. So when we talk about our nervous system, we have our sympathetic nervous system, which is generally thought as fight or flight. That's more arousal, higher arousal, more activation. Uh, and then our parasympathetic being rest and digest, more of that relaxed, uh, um, calm state. So when we think about our inhale versus our exhale, our inhale is going to be more sympathetically driven and our exhale is going to be more parasympathetic. So when we get into the cold, we think about that. What happens? We're our exhale. <gasps> We're focusing on that exhale. Then after that response, what happens? We're trying to extend our exhale. We're slowing our exhale down because we know that's going to bring us closer to our parasympathetic uh, side of our nervous system. So inhale versus exhale. Then we've got the speed of our breath, fast versus slow, fast being sympathetic, right? We get in the cold, <laughs> it's fast. Then we're trying to slow it down, parasympathetic. Then we actually have the location of the breath. So our chest versus our belly. When we breathe into our chest, that's going to be more sympathetic, more of a stress breath. When you think about you're stressed out, you're breathing all up here. It feels super shallow. Um, when you're relaxed, chilling out at night, your breath is kind of more, you feel more of the movement down low in your belly. You also think about where is digestion happening down here in the belly. So 
rest, digest. So moving the breath down low. And then the last piece is our nose versus our mouth. Our nose is going to be more parasympathetically driven. It's a smaller orifice. It's, it's going to then force the breath to actually be more diaphragmatic focused, more in the belly. And then our mouth being a bigger orifice, we can take in more air. We can move the air faster, generally lifts the breath up into the chest. So that's going to be more sympathetically driven. So when you just piece those things together, then you have a little bit of a toolkit to know, okay, when I'm feeling super stressed out and I want to relax a little bit, first, I always say, meet yourself where you are. If you try to go from A to Z, it's not going to quite work. You got to go A, B, C, D all the way down. So if you're feeling stressed out, you notice your breath is fast, shallow, all of those things, then start breathing like that. And then you start to slow it down, move it move the breath down low in the belly, focusing on the exhale, starting to slow it down, starting to breathe through your nose. And so you can kind of put all of these things together to then drive yourself in a certain direction. Okay, cool. And what do you think about, uh, you know, I read a book a few years ago called Running on Air. And uh, it was a fantastic book about, and essentially boiled down to uh, training yourself to, to run while only breathing through your nose. And you had all these reasons why we should breathe through our nose when we exercise. And I've, I've kept many of those principles. For example, I mentioned my workout this morning uh, was on the rowing machine and it was just an easy row for 40 minutes. And I actually gauge my, my performance in a, in a, to me, that's a long workout, right? Mm-hmm. It, f- what I do, my program per week, a short workout is 20 minutes, a long workout's 40. And, um, and I found that I can row breathing only through my nose and get up to about 140 beats a minute heart rate. And if I start working faster, pulling either pulling harder or more strokes per minute, I get to a point I have to breathe through my my mouth. And so I slow it back down. So I actually, I actually do my long, slow workouts according to my breathing. So if I have to breathe through my mouth, I slow down. Yeah. That has worked super well for me. Um, and I throw it out there for those listening that something they might try as well. Is this an area that you touch on as well as, is how to breathe during exercise? Absolutely. Yeah. That's a huge part. And, um, I think common misunderstanding is that our breath is, I mean, our nose is made for breathing. So it has all of these things that are happening as we breathe through our nose. When you look at our nasal passage, if you put your fist up to your face, like that's how big our our, our nasal passages. And so all the air is coming in there. It's going through these turbinates. It's filtering the air. It's cooling the air. It's, it's cleansing it all. Um, whereas our mouth, it's like straight shot. There's none of that filtration, none of that like conditioning Mm -hmm. of the air. Um, also where we, uh, have a lot of nitric oxide that's produced in the nasal passage, which is a vasodilator. Mm -hmm. So that actually opens up our vasculature. Um, the largest amount is actually produced in the nasal passage. So you think about exercise and you want your vasculature to be open, right. To circulate that blood so you can get more oxygen. Um, Also uh, when we're breathing through our mouth, being a bigger orifice, we're dumping more carbon dioxide. And what most people don't understand is that we actually need to have carbon dioxide present in order for oxygen to be released off of the red blood cells into, um, into our body or into our cells to be used for energy. So if we're breathing through our mouth, we're dumping more CO2, 
which then we're not actually utilizing the oxygen that's available. So Hmm. by breathing through our nose, it's going to force us to slow our breath down. It's going to actually um, create better breathing mechanics. So um, we're using more of our um, primary breathing musculature and, and we want to use our mouth when we actually need it. It's like sort of the afterburners, right? You're in a race, you need that extra little boost, boom, you can, you can hit the afterburners. It, it's, uh, it's breathing through our mouth is going to be more associated with an anaerobic state. So like short birth, not a long, um, sustained energy source. Whereas breathing through our nose, we're going to stay in more of a aerobic state, which is going to be more of that long-term, uh, long sustained energy. So I think um, I'm curious to know, like, as you started to focus on nasal breathing, did you notice more, um, gains within your, um, your overall performance, like that, maybe that heart rate where you needed to transition from nasal to mouth breathing was a lot lower and now you've worked your way up and you can sustain nasal breathing for a lot longer. Have you noticed that? Oh, for sure. And in his book, he talks about the Kenyans and how the, uh, the marathon runners who win all these races, how they do nasal breathing and they don't allow a lot of those runners to go any faster than they can without breathing, without opening their mouth. And some of these guys can only do a fast walk at first. Yep. And over time after like a year, all of a sudden the same guy is running five minute miles, only breathing through, through the nose. And so there's been quite a bit of study on it. Yeah. uh, Carbon dioxide tolerance. So building our body's ability to have higher levels of carbon dioxide, which is then increasing our um, oxygen uptake, oxygen utilization. Um, There's a great book called Breath, The New Science of a Lost Art by James Nestor. It came out in 2020, I think 2020. Um, And he does a a self-experiment on himself where he plugs his nose for 10 days where he puts like silicone in his nose. So it only breathes through his mouth. Oh, wow for 10 days and like all these negative things happen to him, sleep apnea, snoring, blood pressure increase, like all of this crazy stuff. Then he goes 10 days where he tapes his mouth. He only takes the tape off to talk and to eat. And everything basically goes reverses back to baseline within 24 hours. And then actually goes way lower than, you know, his norm uh, within 10 days. And so we, we can see big shifts when we focus on nasal breathing, particularly when it comes to performance. The hard part for a lot of people is in order to stay with it, a lot of times in the beginning, we actually have to slow down. And that is hard for people who are very competitive or athletically driven. We don't want to go backwards. But if you can step back for even just a couple of days, sometimes it takes that you get boom right back to where you were. And then you're, you're going to see gains like new PRs, new new, um, new performance, uh, gains all across the board. So, uh, it's a pretty amazing thing and, but it just takes discipline and commitment. And, um, there's a ton of great science around that too. And that's what I love about all this stuff. Like, you know, I think a lot of times people think like, Oh, breathing seems so woo woo, you know, similarity like yoga or whatever, but there's, there's a lot of incredible science and, and more that's coming, you know, as we're seeing more and more uh, positive benefits of all these things, obviously scientists want to understand that. And especially where mental health is going right now. So 
it's an exciting time to really start paying attention to your breath and, and learning more about it. So that's what I love sharing. Okay. One more, one more point before I let you go. I've kept you longer than I planned on, but it's been a yeah. great episode. So if you got yeah. just a couple more minutes um, sure. about this, this, this toolkit, you've given us some good practical ideas, things to do before we get in the shower, things to do just as an exercise, uh, et cetera. Uh, the basic understanding and under, underlying, I, I like that you, you aren't wanting to just like pigeonhole it and say, this is the way to do it, that there's many different options. I get that. Uh, that being said, uh, uh, how often in, in say a day, do you do breathing exercises throughout the, like you mentioned, for example, some trigger, what I call a trigger, like I want some caffeine. Why do I want caffeine? Well, maybe I should just do some breathing exercises during the breathing exercises to just kind of, and whether that could be true with emotional eating, that could be true with a lot of things. Actually, you're, you're about to open the fridge door, <laughs> uh, and you just ate an hour ago and yeah. that's another trigger. Like, uh, wait a minute, why am I opening this door right now? Right? Why am I staring at my pantry? Yeah. I'm actually full. So I like that idea of a trigger that we're about to do something we probably know we shouldn't and we just breathe through it. And so I, I like that. But as yeah. far as practice, do you have a practice? Do you have a set time of day? Do you have like a, a certain, you know, before exercise or midday or evening where you're doing certain Breath, ex breath work? It totally depends on my day and what I'm trying to do. But generally speaking, I, I get up in the morning and I immediately do some sort of breath practice. Varies mm -hmm. from day to day. A lot mm -hmm. of times it uh, starts with more awareness, like breath awareness, some interoception, noticing how I'm feeling, noticing my breath, all of those things, just sort of checking in again, like, understanding baseline or how we're how we're showing up starting that day and then I like from, that. There, from there implement some sort of breathing protocol um most of the time i would say 10 to 15 minutes and then as i'm going through my day it's really just dependent on how i'm feeling a lot of it actually comes from my own awareness of my breath so obviously when you first come into something like this our awareness is, is much more narrow, but then as we start to practice, our awareness grows and probably most people don't ever really even pay attention to their breath throughout the day. They don't even notice that it's there. And now that we start talking about it, they maybe start tuning into it. So then it's kind of one of those things, the more you practice, the more that awareness grows. And then as that awareness grows, you start to see it show up, whether, like I said, you get a text message and then you notice, oh, my breath totally changed or, um, mm. you know, something happens that that there a shift happens within your nervous system and your state of being that then triggers your breath to change. Then you have an opportunity. So really, it's just about building awareness. And I think through practice is where the awareness starts to build. And then you can start applying it wherever you need it, you know. For me, a lot of times, like I like to surf. And so I'll sit in my car and I'll do some breathing to kind of get my body going a little bit, boost the metabolism, uh, get ready to, to go and be active. Uh, or at night I'm lying in bed and I notice my mind is sort of all over the place. I'll implement some breathing to slow my mind down, to get more relaxed. So it can really be used at any time. I don't have like a set okay, every day at this time, I'm going to do this. No, 
Okay. It's more like I start my day with it because it just creates a yeah. little bit of space. I can check in. I can really feel into what I need for the day. And then as I'm moving through my day, I'm just paying attention to how I'm breathing and, and can implement or add something in where, where needed. Uh, and, but I think it all kind of really starts with having some sort of consistent practice to where you're building that awareness. So then it just becomes second nature. And then also within practice, we can really start to uh, create more um, dynamic usage of breathing musculature. We don't have to use auxiliary breathing muscles like our neck and our shoulders, which a lot of people are using. So hmm. we can sort of rebuild mechanics and that's going to have a lot of downstream effects on, on how we feel is getting out of using some of the, the auxiliary breathing musculature that's not needed and that's having an impact on us. So again, anything you practice, the better you get at it. So, so awareness really is the big w word here. It's just becoming aware of something we're typically not aware of throughout the day, start our day with some breathing, breathe better as we work out, use breathing at certain triggers throughout the day. And are you coach about this? What, what is it you do for a living here? Or what are you, what are you <laughs> offering in the breath work, cold therapy arena? Yeah. So I started out as a Wim Hof instructor. And then, as I okay. said, I started getting more in tune with all of these, I guess, more principles of breathing. So, um, you know, I work one-on-one -on -one with people, but my main focus is on uh, a company I started called Our Breath Collective. And really that was designed as a result of teaching workshops and giving people these experiences where they're like, Oh my God, I've never felt like that before. Like this breathing is incredible. How do I build a practice? How do I be consistent with it? So that's kind of what we started as we're my partners and I were like, okay, well, we're already waking up in the morning and doing our own practice. Let's just share it. You know? So we started mm -hmm. doing a live stream and have built a community around that where we share 15 minutes of breathing every single morning. People can tune in uh, they can do it live or they can, it all gets record, recorded and goes into an on-demand library so they can access it whenever they want. And uh, it was focused on like, hey, just show up and do the practice. Don't worry about the why. Don't worry about the how, all of those things. Like get out of your head, just do the practice and then notice what happens. Notice how things start to change and shift and how you feel. And, and from that, people were like, okay, this is working. I'm convinced. Now I want to know the why. So then we started teaching courses. We've got a breathwork intensive where uh, it's a month-long course that we teach all of these different parts, physiology, biochemistry, mechanics, nervous system. Uh, and then people went through that and they're like, okay, well, I want to share this with my community and share this with the world and like really take this on. So we developed a teacher training. So now we mm -hmm. teach uh, different people to be facilitators, practitioners of breathing, uh, whether they're coming in and want to just teach breathing as a standalone therapy or they're already doing something else. We've got like hypnotherapists and acupuncturists, yoga teachers, massage therapists that are all implementing wow. breathing into what they're sharing. It, it complements everything, right? Like our right. breath is connected to all these things. Right. Think about getting a massage, right? Like when someone gets into that spot and you're like, oh, you start, you stop, <laughs> yeah. it, you know? So it's like, it's yeah. all connected. And then, um, you know, so we've got a lot of different programs. We teach different workshops and courses and we do retreats. And uh, so really all focused around breathing. And then obviously 
some of us are Wim Hof instructors. So we bring the cold and we bring the heat and we bring mindfulness and meditation and all these pieces, but really breathing being the, the focal point that's kind of bringing it all together. So that's what I'm really focused on now is just building that community. And, and, you know, I, again, I work one-on-one with people if, if, that's what they're uh, desiring and do a lot of corporate um, retreats and corporate mm. work, uh, work with athletes, uh, worked with some uh, San Diego Padres this past year, which was super wow. fun. And um, so, yeah, anyone and everyone, I mean, really we're all breathing. So it's something we all can benefit from. There's not really one type of person that is going to have more benefits than another. We're all, we're all can use it. And um, so yeah, I love it. It's amazing. Okay. And that's ourbreathcollective.com. Yep, ourbreathcollective.com or you can follow us on Instagram ourbreathcollective. We share a lot of little videos, uh different practices, uh perspectives, science ideas, different things there, so check us out. Okay. Well, thanks Reese. This has been a great episode and I'm going to pay more attention to my breath. I'm going to become more aware yeah. Uh, after, after listening to you and uh, like I say, this is something we take for granted and that we should not take for granted. So totally. fantastic episode. Yeah. Thank you so much. I mean, it already sounds like you, you have great awareness to it, even just within your own exercise and, and with the cold and everything. So it's just like continue to layer it on and, and build from it's, there. But. It's like everything. Knowing is one thing, right? And then, mm-hmm. and then we forget about things. I and mean, it's why I love doing this podcast. I need the constant ongoing. I have some awareness. Yes. But do I have a practice of breathing? No. Yeah. And now yeah. I'm, I, I, I'm interested to do that now because you've been on the show. So, and, I'm, and hopefully others are having the same uh, thoughts right now. So thanks yeah. so much. Cool. Thank you. Appreciate it. Okay. For those of you listening, this is Dave Sherwin wishing you health and success. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget about all the free resources on dirobi.com. That's D-I-R-O-B-I.com. Also, find the show notes for this episode by clicking on the podcast link there on the website. And if you want to pick any of our world-class products while you're there, use code PODCAST to get 10% off anything you like. Mm-hmm.